the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spropolis, and you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros. This is episode 5 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report, and if you've missed the previous four uh, installments of Free Talk Friday, you can check out the episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our Blog Talk Radio page. And what Free Talk Friday is, is it's uh, more of a casual kind of conversation, um, you know, kind of similar to what you would have with friends or coworkers. So I don't really have stats in front of me. I don't prepare advanced stats or numbers, etc. I just prepare some topics and then just pretty much ramble and talk like you would with a friend or a coworker. Uh, before we get into Episode 5 of Free Talk Friday, I want to remind you about our two sponsors. First is Fan Essentials. If you use promo code 94FEET in all caps at checkout, you will get 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials and Daily Fantasy Nerd. If you play any Daily Fantasy for NBA, NFL, etc., um, check out Daily Fantasy Nerd to get some great Daily Fantasy tools. So, in t- episode 5 of Free Talk Friday, again, Free Talk Friday is shorter than our episodes that come out on Mondays. They're only usually half an hour maximum because, you know, it's kind of casual and, and you Free Talk Friday. It's not supposed to be a really lengthy episode. So, in today's uh, quick, short, and sweet episode, um, well, our last episode of the year, actually, in fact, um, because the New Year's is coming up this weekend. Um, so the final installment of the 94 Feet Report uh, in 2016, uh, we will be talking about super teams. We'll talk about the various comments made by George Carl and the reaction to those comments um, and, and the backlash and kind of the consequences moving forward of those comments made by George Carl in his new book. And then we'll conclude with our running uh, game uh, above or below, in which case we, you know, we go through about eight teams um, and I'll give my take on whether I think they're playing above, below, or right at their, you know, actual level. You know, maybe maybe some teams are exceeding expectations, and I think they'll come down to earth. Maybe some teams are disappointing, but I think they'll still make it, you know, to the playoffs and stuff like that. So that's our running game above or below. So those are the three kind of segments I've prepared for Episode 5 of Free Talk Friday. And with that being said, let's dive into talking about a pretty you know, controversial but interesting issue in the NBA. Um, I say interesting because it, you know, kind of depends on who you talk to when, when talking about this issue. And that issue is the, the existence of super teams in the NBA. You, you can't doubt anymore that there are super teams in the NBA, especially after Kevin Durant went to the Warriors. Um, but it really, you could argue it started with the Celtics, with the, uh, joining of Garnett, Pierce, Ray Allen, um, or you can say you can clearly say the definitive start of super teams um, was LeBron James and Chris Bosh going to the Miami Heat. Um, but it's clear that super teams are now a thing. Um, I would argue that there are two in the league right now: the Cavaliers, who I would say have they basically have three all stars in Love, Kyrie, and LeBron, and of course the Warriors are a super super team now that they've added Kevin Durant. Um, so you know it's you can't doubt that super teams play a big role and big part of the NBA. Now the question is, and the interesting thing is when you talk to different people about this issue is whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And when analyzing whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you got to analyze it you know, for certain things. So is it good for the league? Is it good for the fans? Is it good for the media? Is it good for the players? There are so many different components that go into a super team um, and the consequences of a super team for that matter um, that, it's, that are important to consider. Um, so I've got kind of two subtopics about super teams that I'd like to talk about today. Um, and the, fe- the first one is, you know, are super teams the, the real future of the NBA? And you might be saying, oh, well, that's a silly, you know, it's a silly question. Of course they are. But, you know, there have been some stars that have, you know, criticized 
players, you know, stars that are playing right now, like, such as Damian Lillard, um, who have criticized players for joining super teams, saying, oh, I'll never do that, blah, blah, blah. And you obviously got the uh, old-fashioned analysts and media members criticizing them, saying, you know, a lot of people in, back in the day would never join super teams and stuff like that. So it's not a definitive answer whether or not super teams are the future of the NBA. That being said, you can make the case that it is it is the future of the NBA that you know super teams at least one or two will exist every season in, in the NBA moving forward, um, and the the real kind of dilemma with this or the reason that's causing such an existence or such a prominent existence of super teams is um, this whole kind of rings culture, and by rings I mean obviously championships. You know this kind of championships culture that star players and especially stars that you know are hall of fame caliber and status and of expectation um need a ring in on their resume and you know many would argue including myself that that is the definitive reason why kevin durant left uh oklahoma city to go to golden state was for the uh increased opportunity to win a championship even if he has to go to a team where he's not really the go-to guy in the franchise you know the face of the franchise um you know, you could argue in Golden State, you know, they've got three other great players around Kevin Durant now. So some would argue, hey, there's going to be, there, sh- there should be an asterisk next to um, any championship that Kevin Durant wins and appears on his resume because he went to Golden State, a team that won 73 games and made it to back-to-back finals and include and won a championship for that matter. Um, so th- there are, this kind of championship culture um I believe, and many other believe, was certainly a big, big factor in why Kevin Durant went to Golden State. Um, it was definitely a factor with LeBron going to Miami. He clearly was not going to win that ring in Cleveland with that team as constructed. He got them to one finals. They were promptly swept by the Spurs in 2007. Um, they struggled to make it back to the finals the, the next couple of years, and he realized he took a step back and realized, do I have a better chance here in Cleveland with these, you know, this team of, you know, mediocre players or do i hit up my friend Dwayne wade and recruit another all-star like chris bosh and go to miami and enjoy the miami scene win games win championships increase my legacy become an all-time great all-time top 10 great um and then move forward from there and clearly he decided to do that and move to miami um wasn't successful wasn't successful in the first season in capturing that championship but eventually did capture it um so are they the future of the nba um i think I think for some stars, they will be. And by some stars, I'm really going to clarify by, as we just talked about, I think it's going to be stars that have not won a championship by the tail end of their careers. Now I'm talking, you know, 30 and beyond. I'm talking about guys like CP3 and Melo, guys who are, um, at least for CP3's case, you know, considered all-time greats um, that have that one huge missing piece on their resume, and that's a championship. A guy like Melo wants to shut up some people by saying, you know, by proving that he can win in the NBA because he hasn't had a lot of playoff success in the NBA. He's only won three playoff series in his entire career. Um, that is Carmelo Anthony. Um, so maybe he figures, you know, at the end of maybe in a couple of years, or maybe he wants to force trade to a uh, another super team that's created in the next couple of seasons just to win that championship, just to put it on the resume. You know, you got a, a lot of guys, a lot of star players, egomaniacs now, and, and today's rings culture want to just put the title on the resume because when people look back 50 to 100 years from now, they're going to see NBA champion. They're not going to see an asterisk that says, oh, he joined a super team, obviously. So a lot of guys want to just put a title on the resume, and that's why I think that for some stars, future super teams are the future of the NBA being that there will be at least one or two super teams every season in the NBA moving forward. However, for other stars, we just mentioned Damian Lillard, I still don't think it will be a will be a part of their future. Um, obviously Damian Lillard was, was very, you know, 
critical of Kevin Durant leaving, saying, oh, I would never do that. That's weak. I would never join a super team, blah, blah, blah. And we don't know. Maybe in a couple of years, when he's faced with the same kind of pressure of being a 28, 29-year-old point guard with great stats, uh, you know, kind of mediocre playoff success, you know, maybe he feels the pressure of winning a championship and does ultimately join a super team. People would go back and, and laugh at uh, the tweet of him saying it's weak or whatever, or, or the statement of him saying that it's weak if he would ever join a super team. Um, like people have dug up Kevin Durant's tweets from five, six, seven years ago on Twitter. It's really always still funny to this day. Um, but there are some other stars who I'm not not 100% sure it would be a part of their future, such as James Harden and uh, Russell Westbrook, because you know they both have signed extensions um, this past offseason to keep them an extra year or so. And then with the new... Um, CBA, there's a, a new provision that allows teams, makes it easier for teams to retain their stars by offering them more money and offering them contract extensions earlier than the, than usual so they don't even get to free agency. So maybe James Harden and Russell Westbrook are locked in and stay in their teams right now. Um, and ironically, they, they, you know, were used to be a part of what could have been a super team if the Thunder kept Durant, Westbrook, and Harden together. That would have been a super team in today's NBA. So, that's ironic in a way as well that the fact that they were originally on a, a super team in the making because they were too young and not established enough to be called a super team, but the Thunder were certainly a super team in the making. And it's funny that the Westbrook and Harden were ironically on that team and then now are probably going to stay on their own teams for the rest of their future. Um, and that's a different thing that kind of differentiates themselves from the other, you know, super team chasers. You know, it may not be, you know, noted in like legacy books and historical NBA books and you know if Bill Simmons writes another bat book of basketball in, in 20 years or in, in 30 years it may not be remembered that Harden and Westbrook did not leave their teams to join to chase rings but for some people obviously people like my age you know young guys who are obviously have not even reached you know our careers yet um and fans young fans like that they will remember that you know Lillard and Harden and Westbrook if they don't join a super team they will remember that Hey, these guys stayed loyal. They didn't, you know, just become desperate like a, a Kevin Durant or maybe a LeBron James and just joined a super team and got, got some stars and made it easier to win a championship. These guys wanted to win with, you know, the talent around them and their with their team and be loyal. And that's another way to differentiate themselves. But so I think for some stars, super teams are the future of the NBA. The other important question about super teams is, you know, is are they good for the NBA? And this is another thing that has two kind of sides to it. For, for fan interest and ratings and, and th things like that, you know, kind of business metrics, I guess you would say, for the NBA, yes, it is good because there is more interest in a super team. There, there are a lot of people who are either rooting for the Warriors because they're a super team or a lot of them, in, the, in some cases, rooting against them because they're a super team and they're kind of super villains. Um, people are interested in dominant star teams. People were interested when the Warriors were undefeated in the first 28 or so games last year. People were interested in the Warriors attempting to set, attempting in ultimately successfully um, setting the record for most wins in a season. People are interested in dominant teams, seeing if they're going to get knocked out or knocked down and by, by who and how they get back up and stuff like that. So for fan interest and ratings perspective, yes, super teams are good for the NBA. And for business, they're good for the NBA as well. We can tell the, the NBA's uh, business is booming with this with new CBA, new money flowing in from the TV deals, etc. So the NBA's business is doing extremely well. I would think that some reason of that has to do with super teams who are drawing a lot of ratings um, on TV, which is and therefore getting the big TV deals. But for most fans and even some media members and analysts that have been pretty open about it, super teams are not good for the NBA. It makes kind of a, kind of the season feel inevitable. Um, Everyone's predicting from the beginning of the year and still predicting that it's going to be Cavs, Warriors at the end of the year, and the finals for the third straight year. 
I think it's interesting because it's 1-1. You know, the, the Warriors won the first time, the Cavs won the second time. This is kind of the best the deciding best of three NBA Finals series. But what happens if we see Cavs-Warriors for the next three NBA Finals? That would be almost six straight. Then it becomes a problem. The inevitability is a serious thing. I'm a Houston Rockets fan. We're having a really great season. We're exceeding expectations. Mike D'Antoni's front runner for Coach of the Year. James Harden is in the top running for MVP. Eric Gordon for Sixth Man of the Year. And yet, I still am not optimistic that we can win more than two playoff series because we'll eventually run into the Golden State Warriors. Same thing for the East. I mean, teams... Three through eight in the East are just not even considered to have any chance. Even the Raptors, the number two team, who have the best offense um, of all time at this moment, um, are not even really given a chance to knock off the Cavs. So that in- inevitability feeling is really kind of a, a mood killer uh, for a lot of people. Of course, I'm still excited for the NBA season. I analyze it for my podcast. I write about it for SB Nation and Fan Sighted, as well as work for NBA Lead. Um, of course, you can check my bio out on Twitter to see where you can find some of my work. But, uh, of course, people like me and analysts and, and, you know, passionate diehard fans are going to cover the entire NBA and be interested in smaller storylines and players and teams and coaches and stuff like that. But for casual, general fans, they have that kind of inevitability feeling that kind of dampers the mood on the NBA season, which is the reason why the super teams are not good for the NBA. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's enough super team talk for one episode of the 94 Feet Report, um, so, you know, yes and no that they're good for the NBA, and also yes and no that they're the future of the NBA. Um, but enough talk about super teams. I think it's time we move on to uh, the recent comments made by George Carl and his new upcoming book that com- I believe comes out next week. Uh, I think it's called Furious George or something. Um, I mean, how many comments has he made that have come out publicly that have been kind of insulting? He had the uh, kind of the no fathers comment about Mello and Kenyon Martin, um, talking about Mello's selfish ego and why he was so difficult to coach and how he didn't care about anything but himself and playing offense and stuff like that. He um, insulted Damian Lillard and basically said Damian Lillard is the problem in Portland. Um, he said there's a doping issue in the NBA, which isn't a terrible comment and doesn't really offend people and actually might be interesting, um, especially because uh, Richard Hamilton came out today saying that he agrees that there might be a doping problem uh, with all these p- players going to Germany. And uh, Carl said something like, oh, well, you think they're going there for, uh, I don't even know, sour- did he say sauerkraut? I'm not sure, but uh, he was definitely making a joke that, you know, they're not just going there for their, meta- they're not going there for their special recoveries. You know, he's in- implying that they're going there, you know, to dope and take some steroids and stuff like that. Um, and then he insulted uh, Vivek Ranadive, the King's owner, um, saying he was a uh, he was a you know immigrant who overstepped his boundaries and you know success came too much to him, you know business success came too easily to him and something like that. Another insult there. So what is that? 3 to 5. That's like five comments that have been controversial and for the most part most of them have been insulting, straight up insulting players. And you had Ken Kenyon Martin in you know coming back, Adam J.R. Smith coming back, Adam Terry Stotts, you know, told him like just leave stay out of it blah blah blah. Damian Lillard, you know, shot back. Um Melo took the high road and declined the comment and that was that was a good move by Melo cuz no matter what, no matter how you get dragged into the situation, it, it's just going to end up messy. Um but still, so many distasteful comments from Carl, from a man who so many people respected, not only for his basketball brain, but his character and his personality and his values and stuff like that. This was a well-liked man, well-respected man for the most part, at least from the media's perspective, you know, on the outside looking in. You know, we're not sure how the players actually felt about him, but on the outside looking in, George Carl was a respected man, both for his basketball brain and his personality and his character. And these comments just hurt his image. I mean... Uh, and you know, some would argue, yes, he's trying to rile up attention and interest for his book so people can buy it. And 
I hope that's not the case, but it, it probably is. These have been passages from the book that have been leaked out by people, you know, and they haven't really, ha I mean, maybe Carl wanted them to get leaked out to draw up interest for the book. I mean, if that's the case, that's, you know, another even even another reason to look down on Carl because this is, that's a, just a very distasteful way to promote your book. Um, a book that I think would be very interesting to read no matter what the comments were. Um, I mean, you, I would be interested in reading a George Carl, you know, tell-all book, you know, without these distasteful, insulting comments. I would just read it because I, I think he's a, a good basketball brain. Now, I think he's a little overrated, and I'll get to that. But um, I would think that George Carl's a good basketball brain who's been around the league for such a long time, played with a lot of players, played under a lot of GMs and coaches, played under the uh, coached a lot of different teams. He's experienced a lot in the NBA, and I love reading books about players and coaches' experiences in the NBA. So I would be interested in reading the book no matter what. They didn't have to be distasteful comments to you know get my interest going. However, these comments did you know get my attention. Obviously, how did they not? If you were in the NBA world and somehow missed these comments, um, you must have been sleeping under a rock because they've been talked about and discussed by every single major like network and talk show and podcast and blog and article and stuff like that. So yes, my, my interest in the book has increased, but you know my image and my view of George Carl has just significantly decreased in the opposite direction. I mean, George Carl used to be a respected good man, but now many are changing their opinion on him. Obviously, we know Kenyon Martin went off. He really, really did not hold back any punches going after George Carl for his comments. Um, Mello took the high road, as I said. J.R. Smith, you know, took some subtle shots. Damian Lillard was straight up and saying, I don't know what his deal is. Terry Stotts basically said the same thing, like, stay out of our team and don't make comments about our team. Um, and then you've got general media members and other players and stuff like that, you know, saying, like, what, what is, what's going on? Like, why would you release a book with these comments? And, I mean, just did not expect these comments from George Carl. And, um, you know, I've always thought that George Carl was overrated as a coach. I mean, he didn't really have that much playoff success. He has a losing record in the playoffs. He had a lot of talent that I don't think he ever really achieved. Now, he was in some bad situations that kind of toxic, what seemed was a very toxic uh, scene in Denver for a few seasons when Melo was trying to force his way out. Obviously, the year... The year and a half, I think it was, in Sacramento. I, I mean, you can give him a pass for that because no coach has really survived Sacramento in the past 10 years. But uh, I don't think George Call has ever had as much success in the postseason to warrant him being such a respected coach for his, you know, basketball brain and basketball success. Of course, he got so he has so many wins. He has over a thousand regular season wins, and I think he's top five all time in regular season wins in the NBA. But I think his lack of playoff success kind of makes me think he's overrated. But still. I respected Carl, even though I thought he was a little bit overrated. I respected him as a coach. I thought he was pretty good. Um, he, has, he has done some good coaching jobs, obviously. But now I've... And I, I, I had respected him before for his you know, basketball brain and coaching success. And I obviously respected his character, that fight through cancer. And you know there were no bad comments he's ever made before. Um, not that I can remember off the top of my head, for that matter. But now I, I just straight up kind of dislike his character. I mean, why would I like and appreciate a man who has just taken such, you know, I would distasteful comments and, and distasteful um, insults at players that he coached for no apparent reason. I mean, he's done coaching. They're, those players are not on the same teams anymore. They've moved on. Everyone else has moved on. And then he's bringing this back to the forefront, maybe to sell books. That's probably the, real, the key reason why. But he's brought it back to the forefront and just straight up attacked these players in very distasteful ways. Bringing up their fathers, bringing up their selfish egos, calling out players that he's not really familiar with. He's not in Portland. How does he know Damian Lillard is the real problem? He's just on the outside looking in. The doping issue is just probably pure, 
pure speculation for that matter insulting uh, Juan Adive I mean I mean the, the real question is just why like why George Carl is it really to sell books if, if that's the case that is just truly it makes the comments even more you know disgraceful really and just, just they're just so distasteful overall it's really a shame to have these comments come from George Carl but that that was just what I wanted to talk about for just um, you know, a couple minutes and, you know, kind of feel like just, you know, ramble off the top of my head from kind of my reactions to the comments because my reaction is very similar to most of the players and the analysts. Like, why are you doing these, why are you doing this, Carl? These distasteful comments that no one really expected. Hopefully it's not just to sell books, but, you know, that's just you know, my little rant on George Carl. And with that being said, in just a minute, we, in just a couple of seconds actually, we will begin, um, another installment of our now running game above or below. So if you missed, um, before we get started on uh, Above or Below, I want to remind you, you can use uh, promo code 94feet at Fan Essentials to get 30% off your first subscription. Fan Essentials, if you're not familiar with the company, is a great monthly subscription service that you go online, fanessentials.net, choose your favorite uh, league, and then choose your favorite sport within that league. Um, Choose your monthly subscription package size, small, medium, or large, and each month you will get... um, a kind of a box of your favorite team's gear shipped right to your door. I've tried it out for the Houston Rockets. It's great. They give you unique items. Um, I'm still using the winter hat I got from Fan Essentials because it is the you know some cold months up here in the Northeast. Um, so they give you great unique gear for your favorite team each month shipped right to your door. It's great. Promo code 94FEET in all caps for 30% off your first subscription of Fan Essentials. So above or below, let's get back into it. Above or below, um, basically this game is... You know, I'll I'll go through. You know, the the number of teams change every week. It's usually around eight, and I try and keep it around eight every week. Um, but we'll go through each team, and I'll say if I think they're playing above or below their actual level. So uh, you know, I can kind of explain as I go through the teams. But maybe I think a team is playing above their actual talent level. Maybe a team's playing below their actual talent level. Stuff like that. So let's start with the Washington Wizards, who have been really hot. If you missed our episode on. Monday night of the 94 feet report in our half court he segment which is a prediction for the week I predicted that the Wizards would be in the Eastern Conference playoff picture the, the top eight of the conference by the end of the week because I thought they would win all three of their games so far this week and so far they've won, they've won two of them with another game coming tomorrow night against the Nets they are already eighth in the playoff picture right now so that prediction actually came true I wasn't very confident about it but the Wizards are playing really really well recently they've beaten the Bucks and Pacers this week they had that really good win against the Clippers um, I think it was last Sunday and I still think that the Wizards are playing below their level because going into the season I expected them to be a 43 to 46 win team comfortably in the playoffs top seven in the play in the east um, and they're still playing below that so I think they still can turn it around and play even better than this to become a com- a comfortable uh, playoff team in the east and kind of solidify their playoff standings by the all-star break that they should be comfortably in the eastern conference playoff picture so I think the Wizards are still playing a little bit below uh, and again, we've got four Eastern Conference teams this week and four Western Conference teams this week, so it'll be separated pretty nice and evenly. Um, next team is the, the team that the Wizards just beat, the Indiana Pacers, and they're another team that is playing below. They're playing significantly below, though, because they're coming into the season, I expected the Pacers, again, like the Wizards, to be a comfortable playoff team. They've got a star in Paul George. They made some nice moves. I thought they made some pretty good moves. I didn't like the Teague Hill swap at point guard, but I did like the, the trade for Thaddeus Young, another year of Miles Turner. Um, 
and of course Paul George. I didn't like their coaching change either, so I wasn't high on the Pacers, but I thought they would comfortably be a playoff team, and that's not what they are at all right now. So for that reason, the fact that they're you know comfortably not a playoff team for that matter, um, the Pacers, I have them uh, below for the Indiana Pacers so far. And of course they have time to turn it around, but right now it's not looking good for the Pacers because you're, you're at that point where you kind of already have a good idea of what the team is, you know? This, it's not November anymore. It is the end of December. It's about it's going to be January next week. So we know what each team is right now. We can kind of start separating for real the contenders and the pretenders. So again, below for the Pacers. The Milwaukee Bucks are next. They're you know they're, they're playing at the level I expected. Um, I kind of expected them to be a 500 team. I thought they would be a couple games over 500 and, and, and squeaking into the playoffs as well. Um, and that's what they are right now. They're kind of squeaking into the playoffs. I think they're sixth or, or seventh in the East in the standings right now. Uh, I think they're at 500 or maybe a game over 500. Um, again, they're being led by Giannis, who's having an, an incredible year, and we can dive more into that uh, on an, on an uh, upcoming episode of the 94 Feet Report because that's when I prepare stats and numbers and in-depth analysis. But we know Giannis is going off this year. Jabari Parker has taken another step, uh, and they're missing Chris Middleton. So it's nice to see the Bucks doing, you know, at least playing at their level when a lot of Eastern Conference teams have been very disappointing for that matter. And the fourth and final Eastern Conference team we'll be talking about today, the Orlando Magic. I think they're playing right at the level I expected. I expected them to be under 500. Um, I expected them to be anywhere from a 35 to 38 win team, which is basically essentially what they're on pace for right now. And, and the funny thing is that the Eastern Conference is so weak for that matter that the Magic, I think they're four games or four or five games out of behind 500 and they are like 12 seed in the east and i think they're only like two games behind the a seed or something like that so the magic still have a chance at the playoffs somehow i don't think they're going to get in because they don't have the talent there um to do it this year the pieces don't fit yet they've got they need to they need an offseason to figure it out but the magic are playing right at my level pretty much comfortably behind uh, below 500 now let's move to the, the to the west i got four teams in a couple of minutes and the first one is the sacramento kings who i think are playing above my level now their record isn't that good. I think they're what are they fourteen and eighteen or something like that, or thirteen and seventeen, which is what I expected them. I expected for them record-wise at the end of the year, you know, to be under five hundred, to be around thirty-five to thirty-eight wins for the Kings. But I think I'm going to put them above because they really haven't imploded yet, and they had that nice winning streak over the past week before the Blazers snapped it uh, last night. Demarcus Cousins has been going off. He's been providing a lot of uh, social media filter and fun for that matter. Um, and the Kings haven't imploded yet and are actually eighth in the playoff seeds right now in this moment. So I'm going to say the Kings are above. The Denver Nuggets, I believe, are playing right at the level I expected them to be. Again, they're in ninth seed right now. They're actually, I think they're tied uh, for the eighth seed in the West right now, which is very good for the Nuggets. Now, of course, the record isn't good, but that's because the eighth seed in the West is going to be very weak this season. But um, the Nuggets have the young guys playing well. They finally figured out to play Nikola Jokic. They still got some trade pieces they got to figure out between Farid and Nurkic and some some aging wings to to move in for their young players in the wings. So thing, a lot of things to figure out for the Nuggets. But again, their record is basically where I expected them to be under 500, but a nice young team that's fighting because Mike Malone has his guys playing hard most of the time. Um, so the Nuggets are right at the level I expected. The Oklahoma City Thunder is a team that I'm on the fence. I think they're playing right at the level um, I expected, but a little bit below uh, the level I expected. Um, not, not that I expected. I, I expected the Thunder to basically be at this kind of, you know, 46 to 49 win range. Um, uh, and so for that matter, I'm going to have them at basically playing at the level, at their level. 
Um, of course, Russ's triple doubles are the, are the thing to watch. But recently, the bench play has improved. Other guys are stepping into the roles around Russ, and that is huge. And that is very significant for the Thunder if they want to give a team a real fight in the playoffs. Um, including winning a series. They need other guys to step up. They need to get healthy, obviously, because Oladipo's been out. Um, but they need to get healthy. and need their guys to step up, f- fill out, and figure out their roles around Russ, and the Thunder will have some sort of playoff success. And the final team I want to talk about in the West, and the final team I want to do for this installment of Above or Below, are the LA Clippers. They're playing below, it's pretty clear, but that's mainly because of injuries. Now, they've obviously, they're going to be missing Blake Griffin. They've missed him for the past week or so, and they're going to miss him for the next couple of weeks. Uh, CP3 missed about three games. JJ Redick is now going to miss probably three, his third game tomorrow against the Rockets, and the Clippers are struggling. They've lost four straight, all to pretty bad teams. Uh, I think it was Mavericks, Lakers, Nuggets, and Pelicans they've lost to, all teams below them and all teams out of the playoff picture for that matter. Um, and it's killed them. They're now two and a half games behind the Rockets for the third seed with the teams playing tomorrow night in Houston. If they lose that, they'll be three and a half games behind for the third seed. Again, a team a lot of people were picking as a Western Conference contender this season is struggling with injuries again. Something still seems to be missing from this team, and we don't know if they'll be able to fill that void this season to get it to the Western Conference Finals. Again, mainly because of injuries, the Clippers are playing below. So... That is the latest installment of Above or Below on Free Talk Friday, Episode 5 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report. And uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that it's our last episode for 2016 because uh, January 1st is is next Sunday. We usually come out with episodes on Monday nights and Fridays. Um, So I will be, uh, well, two things. One, uh, I'm not 100% sure if there will be an episode on Monday, January 2nd, due to New Year's Day and the holiday and stuff like that. You know, I've got other things going on, of course. I might, I will hopefully try and record something on Monday and record it and and release it to you guys on the evening. Um, And that matter, I will hopefully also be changing our our upload time. So I will be changing uh, upload times to Monday morning and Friday morning. Um, therefore being that I will record Sunday night and Thursday night for our podcast episodes. Again, I'm, we are no longer on All In Sports Talk Radio Network, so I have a more free range in when I can upload the episodes to our site and therefore being um, uploading to iTunes and Stitcher and stuff like that. So look out for our episodes on Monday mornings for our hour-long structured 94 Feet Report and our uh, Friday mornings for our Free Talk Friday short casual episodes. And uh, again, stay tuned to my Twitter, at Eric Spiros to hear information and announcements regarding our episode on January 2nd because it's not guaranteed that there will be a new episode. We will certainly be back next Friday for episode 6 of Free Talk Friday, but again, not sure about Monday's episode of the 94 Feet Report. With that being said, I'm going to I'm gonna log off now. Um, this was episode 5 of Free Talk Friday here on the 94 Feet Report, brought to you by Fan Essentials and Daily Fantasy Nerd. Again, I'm your host, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros, to, to check out my other work for my other sites, as well as information for the podcast and just my general NBA thoughts, because I do tweet uh, tweet and retweet tweet, tweet a lot of, uh, you know, kind of NBA thoughts there as well. So check me out on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. I hope you guys have a great weekend. hope you guys have a great New Year. Happy holidays to whatever you're celebrating. Um, And we will hopefully be back Monday. But if not, definitely next Friday for Episode 6 of Free Talk Friday. So once again, I'm Eric Spropolis, at Eric Spiros on Twitter, signing out for the 94 Feet Report. Have a great New Year. Have a great weekend. Enjoy some NBA basketball. Take care, guys.